For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 344 of This Old Marketing for October 6th, 2022. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and, you know, one of the only guys that didn't fall for the Kim Kardashian promotion of Ethereum Max, Mr. Joe Polizzi. But I was close. I wanted Were you? No. I, are you kidding me? <laughs> I've never seen... You didn't take, you didn't take Kim's word for it and I've, do a big investment in Ethereum Max? I... I probably have seen a couple pictures of Kim Kardashian, and that's it. I've never seen her on social media. I've never, I basically, I mean, I don't even, I know there's a show on. I've never seen it of a called The Kardashians, I guess. See, I'm so out of it. That is, that's it. That's yeah. correct. Yes, that's like, correct. But yes, I don't, I don't know. But I did read the article because some, one of our community members sent me a note and said, hey, uh, if we promote tilt coin, are we going to get in trouble like Kim Kardashian? <laughs> Just like, right. Well, well, I mean, the answer to that is, are you Kim Kardashian? And then they say no. And it's like, I think you're pretty safe. But there is going to be I think there's going to be a, a crackdown. I think she's the I think she's the example the SEC wanted to make an example of. Right? I totally agree with that. Um, they were absolutely picking on her uh, because she is a celebrity and. Everybody's gonna yeah, afford it. We've sort of got to figure it out. That's why, if you focus on utility coins and utility tokens, I think you're in the clear. And anytime you start talking about price and investment and pump pumping it up and stuff, you're in trouble. Like we all and you and you, that's I, right. You know, we've talked about this with ours. You just have to be careful, and you have to have a disclaimer, and you have to. This is not a get rich quick. You're not giving financial advice. This is all tokens for access. If that's yeah, the case, that's you're right. okay. But then, yeah. you, then again, you know, like, you're, yeah, who cares about us? Like nobody. I mean, some. Well, people, that's right. I mean, some. I mean, I looked at my rally account the other day for the first time in a couple of weeks and was like, yeah, all right, that's you know, that's that's not interesting. <laughs> you know, that's just that's just uninteresting as it comes to uh, value. Well, I mean, it's um, tough. I mean, at some point, we'll we can probably talk about all this stuff, but it's been difficult for us with TiltCoin because it's working. Things are working the way that we wanted it to, but the attachment to the rally token has been very challenging. And that's really what you're talking about. And um, and so we've got to figure out. Well, it's out. not only that, but it's, it's, it's the choices. It's some of the choices that Rally has decided to make in terms of the way that they operate, which... I can't necessarily blame them given the market conditions about the way that they have to operate. And they may have gotten a little ahead of their skis in terms of how many creators they decided to, you know, stake sure. uh, as, as part of their initial outlay. Um, and, you know, given where the price of Rallycoin is now, I can see why they would want to pull back on that, right? You know, in terms of quote unquote paying dividends. Um, but, you know the let's just call the communication there less than less than good um yeah uh y yes yes and all that and 
<laughs> it's, yeah. I've been a re- I've personally been. I know you can't say a lot. I can say more. I can say more because of where I sit. You have to say less because of where you sit. So totally well, not not just that, but because we as our our whole team at the tilt are trying to figure out what we should be doing. Do we continue to go with where we're going, and is it going to be okay? And do we hope for the best, or do are we a little bit more strategic about where we're going? Make some decisions because there's there's you know I'm not going to get into the whole social tokens thing, but there are a couple di- you could do different things. You could say, of course, yeah, you could say, yeah. hey, I want to stay with the web two-ish type feel. There's a there's companies like Rally and Minted that do that. If you want right. to go with yep. the true web three feel, there's companies like Roll and even Coinvise and other ones that do that for you, where you need a little bit more programming expertise. But there's lots of different options depending on your flavor and and kind of where your community sits in terms of uh, how advanced they are into Web3. Because if they don't know anything, it's going to be very tough for you to educate them and get them involved in you know Web3, digital right. wallets, and, right. and all that stuff. Well, and, and, and I think right now, you know, it's, it's not just understanding, it's caring, right? I mean, you know, to quote the classic Homer Simpson, just because I understand doesn't mean I care. Um, and so even if your audience is relatively savvy enough to pull in, you know, multiple wallets and figure it all out, and you've got the developers to be able to do that right now, you've got a, you've got a level of cynicism and sort of, you know, uninterest right now because of where crypto sits in terms of the, the price that it's at, you know, so there's a general sort of, you know, feeling of malaise, I think about the whole, you know, and, and this, by the way, extends into, NFTs, I think it extends into, you know, you're starting to see a real pullback and pushback on the idea of the metaverse. Um, you know, Tim Cook was recently out there saying, you know, nobody understands what a metaverse is, you know, what the hell is that? So I think you're, I think it's, it's a, it's a, you know, I mean, as you would say, I think it's a perfect time to think about investing because all of these things are more than likely to come to pass in some form. Um, and it's a time to experiment because it's low cost to experiment. Yep. But I think it's it's tough to build momentum right now. True. And this is when builders build. Like this is the time mm-hmm. that you get your act together right. if you really want to get going. I was I was at a, an event last night and I was talking with a bunch of Web3 people that were really, really involved in it. And they were saying, wow, this is just the greatest time ever in crypto. You know, you wouldn't think that people from the outside would say, oh, my God, I mean, the, the market's been devastated and there's no innovation. There's so much innovation going on in the space right now. People have just got their heads down. They're not worried about price, which is great. It's exactly what happened in 08 and 09 during the Great Recession. Right. That's and right. that's when some of the greatest companies that we're using right now came about. And and before that, yeah. in, in 2001. So, Yeah. So anyways, good good for that. But yeah, I have to apologize. You and I were talking before the show. I'm on fumes right now. We did our, you know, Pam and I did our four or five city tour in 10 days. And I literally just got off the plane, texted you and said, let's do a podcast, man. <laughs> let's, let's get this thing going. No. You sound just yeah. fine, mister. Yeah, because you I'm sound just fine. That's, that's kind of how we... <laughs> That's how we yeah. roll. Well, let's not let's not go that far, okay? <laughs> let's not let's not let's not stretch the I truth. Know. But no, we just um, came from New Orleans, had a great time. I love the city of New Orleans. It was even better because it was perfect weather and it wasn't crowded. Like our hotel was at 
we when we got to our hotel on Sunday, Monday, what was it? Whatever day it was, I was talking to one of the workers there. It was nine percent capacity. I wow. went and worked out the next morning and I was up there for an hour and nobody was there in the most beautiful view of the Caesars Superdome and the Smoothie King <laughs> Arena. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. I'm uh, I'm I'm kind of trying to figure it out, but still. And sad because your Browns lost, you well, know. I was there. Did I, I mean, tell you I was there? Is that the game? Uh, oh, I I saw the pictures on Facebook, but yeah, there yeah, you go. So that was one of our stops. So we you know, un- unfortunately, we had a death in the family and we were in the Pinehurst, North Carolina area. And then we went to meet some friends. All the other stuff had been planned. After that, we went to meet some friends in Minneapolis. Uh, my oldest met us up there, went on you know, 10 roller coasters at two parks. Fantastic. <laughs> then immediately flew down to Atlanta, and we were only in Atlanta for the game. So flew into Atlanta, went, went on the MARTA, which is their subway, found a, yep. found a, a parking lot where there were basically all Browns fans partying. I, I, I would imagine... The Browns p- played the Atlanta Falcons, and I would imagine that 30% of the fans there were Browns fans. I It almost felt like a home game for, wow. for the Browns. Wow. All right. <laughs> With about 30% being Browns well, fans, yeah, it felt like a home in, game. In the day, yeah, there you go. In the day, when, when we were really, <laughs> right. really bad and we played the Steelers, there'd be 50 to 70% Steelers fans at Browns Stadium. Not, yeah. Not anymore. There you go. But... Yeah. We went down there, and it was the ab- it was perfect weather. The Mercedes-Benz Stadium is a work of art it's uh you know basically they've they can close that dome in 15 minutes yeah. or 20 minutes it's cool oh, it's yeah it's so cool there yeah not a bad seat in the house uh domestic beers were eight dollars which may sound like a lot there you but go they're not that's like really cheap for <laughs> for a stadium i think it's the cheapest beer you can buy in any stadium uh in the country and everything was great except we lost yeah, so there you go. There that, you in Brown's go. fashion, everything is great until you lose. Isn't it something? <laughs> so anyways, did that and yeah. then headed to uh, to New Orleans from there. And I spoke at an event called Digital Now, uh, for which is a great event run by a, yeah. an association company called Sidecar. They were That's right. about 200. Not to be forgotten, their sister event, Digital Then. <laughs> no, you can really have multiple events. You could have digital now, right. digital then, and digital when. And you could have right. You could have digital next ten minutes. You could have digital. I'm waiting for the bus. Um, you know, there's there's a whole there's a whole subfamily of brands you could go with there. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, that was a. I really enjoyed that event. They they put on a put on a great show. I was talking about Web three. And so the one, the whole first day was AI. So our friend Paul Ratzer from Marketing ah, Institute, fantastic. he was speaking there, and a lot of friends that I've met over the years. And then uh, yesterday was uh, was Web three, and uh, and I did my unconventional publishing strategies in the Web three era. Dun dun dun! So and did, you, and did Kim Kardashian come up? Did Kim Kardashian come no, up in that uh, that not discussion? Not big, no. not okay. big in the association crowd. Um, I see. I but see. But what they asked the question at the beginning of the day. And so let's say 200 people are in the audience, all from associations, mostly association executive ranks. And they said, How many of you have a digital wallet? Like a Web3 digital wallet, like a MetaMask. And about six yeah. people raised their hands. Oh my. Yeah, there you go. 
So, so yeah. of course, when I got up there talking about Web three, they were just blown away, man. You're, oh yeah, it absolutely, unbel- just eating it up. <laughs> it was yeah, absolutely, absolutely, reinforcing your reputation as a professional. Of really, it, it's of, what. Uh, yes, of course. But anyways, how? Yeah. So uh, before <laughs> we go on, uh, I know we talked about my my Browns. I'm loving the Cooper Rush Cowboys. I yeah, really am. it's at that we've got as they've been saying here on the the local blogs we've got rush hour ahead oh of us. My it's God. uh, yeah, it's pretty good. No, it's been they've been playing very well. I mean, the defense is playing lights out. I mean, they're just I mean they're just insane. The 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 defense is just is and honestly is why the Cowboys are winning games. Um, you know because the offense has been fine, right? It's been pedestrian. Um, but he's doing he's. He's not losing. He's a game manager. What, and he's managing yeah, he's it. Definitely, he's definitely not throwing yep. interceptions. Yep. Yeah. And he's just letting the players play, and it's it, it's working. You know, so they have a real test coming up. I mean, the the commanders are not really a test, but the Rams, you know, Super Bowl champs, they're they're coming up this weekend. So this will be the this will be the real test to see if they can actually play at the level that they have to be playing at. Um, to to really make a run, yeah. So, and well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited. The Rams are not the team they were last year, so they were not. They are, they are, they not, are not. I should say, yeah. That so. that is correct. That is correct. But uh, yeah, there you yeah. have it. All there right, you have it. All right, good. All right. Well, we've got a great show, uh, a fun show. Uh, you know, perfect for your jet lag. That's for sure. Uh, we're going to start by talking, of course, about the biggest news of the week, the huge news of the week, the 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 really the only giant news of the week. Which is, of course, uh, a friend and family of the show. Of course, he loves this show. Elon mm-hmm. Musk uh, has volunteered, says the headline, to buy Twitter at the original price. Um, I think he's volunteering, kind of like I volunteer to take the garbage out. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, we'll also talk a little bit about how uh, some acquisitions have happened in the last week. Fandom uh, has bought some sites, dug around the bargain bin basement, and made a number of acquisitions here. And very interesting uh, sort of uh, trend going on there. We'll talk about uh, Facebook, our friends at Meta. And how they are winding down the newsletter service that we only talked about and introduced on this show actually last year. Uh, and then how they're also starting to sell new ad units, may, maybe even ad units on your personal profile page, which would be very interesting. And then if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about how Punchbowl has started to really expand uh, their publishing and their content strategy based on the success that they've had. And we've talked a little bit about them before. Yes, we have. Absolutely. Joe. And Joe, you're going to rave a little bit about Amazon, which shocks. I know, shocks. right? Uh, and then maybe continue your commentary, some of your observations yes. from the you road. Gotta, you got to wait. Uh, you got to stick around for the great observations. Lots of great learnings definitely. from the road. Yes. And what definitely. are you going to talk about? And then I'm going to I'm going to rave a little bit about uh, the new CMI research on the content marketing salary. Uh, so just some fascinating stuff there, and I'm very proud of the team for being able to put together that research is just really good stuff. So so a chock-a-block, a bountiful, a october fall cornucopia of stories to talk about here. Maybe that's uh, the title for the show, a cornucopia of content. A corn of copiousness. Corn of morbius. Corn of copiousness. Okay. Yeah, there we All go. All right, let's anyway. rock and roll. What do we got? Good. What's, Mr. Right. <laughs> what's, our, what's our best friend up to these we'll, days? Yeah. 
Well, we'll try and keep you awake with this one. Um, this is uh, Elon Musk. Uh, basically, this comes to us courtesy of Axios, although just about every single website on the planet is leading with this. Uh, Elon Musk has offered to proceed with the Twitter deal. Big news this week, and basically a story that's evolving even as we sort of talk about here. The article opens up by saying Elon Musk has offered to proceed with a $44 billion buyout of Twitter, according to a letter his lawyer sent to Twitter's legal team and was submitted to regulators on Tuesday. Driving the news is that according to the letter, Musk has agreed to proceed in closing the transaction in accordance with the other April 25 merger agreement that he originally signed, which basically promised to pay $54.20 per share. The agreement would preempt a trial. Uh, I don't think it's going to do that. Uh, That had been scheduled for October, tied to Musk's efforts to walk away from his original acquisition agreement. The letter stipulates, however, that the deal hinges on the receipt of debt financing, as well as the Delaware Chancery Court entering an immediately stay of the action, adjourning the pending trial, and all other legal proceedings related to closing the deal. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. So I think there are so many so many media outlets that are just missing the point here but what do you what do you well i mean it, it was very uh what do you call it muskian of, of elon <laughs> musky to, musky yeah it's that musky scent yeah it's that musky scent. obviously he knew that he was going to lose this case and go figure when you actually sign a legal document sometimes it holds up so you know yeah he thought that and we've talked about this all the time on the show he thought he could get out of it Obviously couldn't. The Delaware, I think it was Delaware court system that this was in. The, the Chancery court, court, yeah, yeah absolutely. Because it's, it's all incorporated in Delaware. That's why it's there. Um, so so there's that. You know, and So instead of actually going through and getting the, hey, uh, you're going to have to buy it, he just backed off and said, oh, I've changed my mind. I'm actually going to buy it now because I'm such a cool dude. Uh, it is interesting, though, to me. How you know? I know there's an agreement done or whatever, but I really do feel like this Twitter executive team wants to get rid of Twitter because they're just done innovating. Like they're they're not like it's funny. I was looking at Review the other day. Review's the newsletter service that they they purchased. That's right. Yeah. There's been literally no innovation that's happened. None in that product. And it just seems like everything has been put on hold. But even before Elon got involved. Things have been put on hold. And even the, you know, there's so much that could be done with spaces, especially with what's happened with Clubhouse. I mean, they, they could take yep. that, and now you've got other, you've got LinkedIn coming in, you've got other entities coming in trying to take over that audio space. I just, uh, I don't, I don't know what this, and, and I, I don't know if it, it's in the other article that we're going to put in, but the, what's this everything app that Elon thinks he's going to create out of Twitter because that's what I heard. And I actually, because I think I texted you a couple days ago when this came out and I'm listening to whatever broadcast was on in the hotel room I was listening to and they were they were saying, oh, he wants to, this Holdings X company that Elon has and he wants to launch this everything app. What is that? Yeah. Is that like an everything bagel? What is? Th- yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, it is. It is kind of. I mean, you know, it is... You know, so, so there is the concept of the super app, right? Yes. And, you know, and so there, and this is big in, uh, especially in Asia, uh, where there are super apps, uh, where you can do everything, you know, uh, 
WeChat's a great example of this, where you can do everything on that platform, including book a ride like Uber, chat with your friends like Snapchat, uh, you know, pay for stuff with a payment option like Square, and it sort of combines all of this functionality into one app. And there has been a lot of discussion, of course, in the U.S. about are there opportunities for super apps to exist here? Because none of them, Twitter, Facebook, Google, uh, you know, have made any real attempts at creating a super app. Um, Uber's probably the closest thing that there is to one right now because you can get food delivery, you can get, you know, picked up, yep. you know, and theoretically you can do a, a number, you could do a number of things with, with Uber. Um, but Twitter plus a square type payment system plus some other functionality could easily become a super app. The challenge is, of course, here in the U.S. that, you know, none of the hardware providers, and there really are only two here, we're talking about Google and Android and Apple, really want that to happen, right? They don't want that. They don't want anybody to have that much power. So they haven't really, and it, by the way, takes away a lot of the, you know, viability or power uh, of the actual hardware provider. So they're not really interested in making, seeing something like that happen. So it's been difficult. And I think the chances of this happening with Twitter are slim to none, um, especially given, you know, the fact that, you know, I mean, Elon bought this thing like, <laughs> you know, I pay my taxes, right? It's like, hmm, I can pay $20 billion and basically own nothing, or I can pay $44 billion and own something. So sure. it wasn't a choice, right? I mean, it was basically you are going to lose and have to write a big check to somebody. And now that the now that it's, you know, quote unquote, back on, basically, he's gone, all right, I want to own something. So I'll basically pay the price that I was supposed to pay. There is exactly zero incentive for the board of Twitter or the Twitter shareholders or anybody to say, no, 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 it's not going to be anything less than $54.20. Like, it's not going to be $54.19. It's going to be $54.20. Else pay us, right? Else pay the money. Because there's no incentive for them to... This is where he, I think, completely misplayed the whole thing. Because he, that now there is no negotiated settlement. Basically, there's no reason for them to... to settle for anything less than the agreed upon Oh, you price. mean you, you thought that maybe they could that he could have come back and said, I'll pay early on. I think early on, he, there was that opportunity early on. I think he could have come back and said, I'm going to write you a giant check for $20 billion and walk away. Right. You know, and promise I won't invest anymore and basically pay the, you know, pay the difference of the valuation. And they could have pocketed a bunch of money and, and put into cash reserves and maybe rebuilt the company, but not now, not now. That's not going to happen. Now, the ones that are really, SOL here is Morgan Stanley, right? Morgan Stanley's way out um, in, uh, in in jeopardy here because they got all these loans. They leveraged all this debt financing that Twitter's going to take on as part of this takeover, $12 billion worth, basically at rates that were like, you know, three or four rate hikes oh, ago. Oh, geez, that's right. So, that was a while. That was when they were. And so now different. you think about it. Yeah, Twitter's going to now have to service. And th this is the number that really just blows me away. If you think about this, Twitter under Musk will now have to service that $12 billion worth of debt every year to the tune of, you know, $1.5 to $2 billion every year in just interest. Mm -hmm. And so. Yeah, but he'll, but they'll be able to. I mean, but. 
They'll refinance but, it. They'll refinance they'll it refinance to some it, point. But, but, but also, for, when I would imagine when the market goes back up, whenever that is, Elon might be a little bit more inclined to pay that off and just be done with it because he has the maybe. money. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he could he could do that, which of course then affects his Tesla stock and yeah. and all of that. So, you know, yes, it would save him cash, but then it might affect the Tesla stock because Tesla shareholders are going, "What the hell?" Right? What you know, right about now, um, because this is not going to be good publicity for for them. Um, and so you end up with this situation where he just bought a boat. Basically, he just bought a, a big boat that he's going to have to pay a lot of money because. But we haven't talked about is whatever investment he's going to put into it to actually shore up all of the innovation that you just talked sure. about, right? How much money are they going to have to spend on hiring innovative engineers and or, you know, actual acquisitions of other companies to actually do something that makes the platform a super app, right? Just, just the numbers are really, really hard here. Well, I, you've got to think that as a private company, they might be able to do a little bit better than they have as a public company. Oh, of course. But, but here's the deal. That's the first thing well, he'll do. Well, here's the thing. That's the first Elon thing is do. not going to run this company. Elon is going to have to find somebody to run the company because Elon is too busy doing his other things. And he doesn't know. Well, that's the. He doesn't yeah. know about the space. He's got to find somebody that actually can understand and put these things together. My concern is that he was so big on this. Oh, let's just get all the voices on the platform with no whatever moderation, that it's going to become more of a cesspool than it already is. And it's going to be a problem. Yeah. That's my big concern, that I'll lose the Twitter that I love, that you and I like to use. But who knows? I don't know. I, I think it's all up in the air. I mean, the other thing that we haven't really you know talked about and hasn't been talked about is... You know, the Chancery Court basically said today, as we record this, they said, well, okay, yeah, that's all nice and everything, but we're still going to trial. You oh, know? They, yeah, Nobody's they told us to not. Back. You know, that's right. Yeah. They, you know, it's like they, it, we're still on track for this, this trial that's supposed to happen this month, and we're not canceling anything until, you know. So this could all be sort of a weird legal dance that, you know, that because basically the Twitter board has to come back with all those conditions met. Like we're going to cancel the lawsuit. We're going to do all this. We're going to do all of that. And then he could flake again and just delay it out even more. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know the legalities of all of that and what, what that would entail, but I, I suspect what's going to happen here is, is that they are going to settle and he's going to own the company. And I think to your point, he's going to have to find somebody to run this thing, you know, and that's the interesting, you know, so one of the things that came out this week were all the text messages uh, between him and his friends and colleagues and people talking about this leading up to it. So, you know, which did two things. One is, yeah, it actually made him look pretty sane and, you know, he was basically warning people off to, you know, like, what are you, what are you trying to do, you know, in terms of marketing the investment in this? That's not, that's not, that's not right. But then it just showed how many of the Silicon Valley executives just bow at the feet of Elon Musk, you know, that musky scent. Um, and, you know, who, who want to be in the business of Elon Musk. And they just, you know, they were, so they're all positioning themselves, right? You know, so many of them are positioning themselves to be involved in this in some way because it gives them access and it gives them power of some of some kind. So you've got to figure there's a number of people here who could be considered for CEO positions. Yeah, you would think so. I guess that we 
if I ever want to know for sure if you're if it's a public company and whether the deal is going to go through, you want to look and see how close the current price is to the sale price. Sale price is fifty four twenty, right? Fifty right yeah. now, and I'm looking at it. Twitter stock is at fifty dollars and seventy seventy eight cents. So there's a good yeah. three and a half bucks of wiggle room in there that people there's a lot of doubt out there yet whether this is going to happen. So we we will see something yeah. crazy. It's yeah, I mean it's Elon, so something crazy could absolutely happen. But I I mean, well, it is crazy. But the, but again, it comes back to the, there's no incentive for the board to go. You know, he can come back and go. Well, I'll give you fifty bucks a share now, and the board's going to go. No, <laughs> let's go to court. I mean, there's there's they have no incentive because by the way, even if the board were interested in doing that, the shareholders are not. You know, you, you've got the folks at BlackRock. You know, who own huge percentage of this you know the black overwhelmingly folks go, voted uh, for no yeah everybody yeah voted this is right at fifty four twenty. there is no reason for us to come down one penny i mean because otherwise we just get free money right we either get free money or we get fifty four twenty for the sale of twitter there is no in between yeah, no i do not want free money that's said yeah. no one ever <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well we will see we'll probably have an answer we'll see in the next this two week, months. I would well, think. I don't yeah, know. in you the never next. Know. But yes, it should be very soon. It should be. It should be. It should be pretty soon because this is good. They need to move fast because they need to cancel the court date. Because the last thing, the the whole reason for this is 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 Musk's lawyers walking in and saying, "Dude, you're going to lose, right? So you don't want all the inform. You don't want to lose and have all this information about you personally coming out. So you know, you, you might as well pay the yeah. money." All right, yeah. that's enough musky All right. discussion. That's enough musky scent. Yes. Yeah, that that maybe that's the maybe that's the title of the show this week. The musky the scent, musky of, scent Twitter. of Twitter. Oh, that the musky scent of Twitter. Oh, wow, that's that's pretty. It good. is. It is that's good. It doesn't good. help with search engine optimization because I don't think anybody's searching for that. But it is interesting. <laughs> well, and all that we yeah, don't care about people good. finding the show. We just want to be interesting. So. That's right. That's right. All right. So let's move on to our next story here, which is an acquisition one, uh, just like we just talked about. Um, but this one a little bit different. Uh, Fandom, uh, the, I guess, media company you would yep. call them, um, they're buying seven media properties from Red Ventures, which we've talked about on the show, Red Ventures, the sort of the largest media company you've never heard about. Um, buying seven media companies uh, from Red Ventures uh, even more blockchain domain options, e-commerce business models, and all of this kind of stuff. They made a big uh, acquisition here. So Fandom, which is a public, I guess, owned by a public company, uh, just acquired large content sites from Red Ventures, this private media company that owns properties such as Lonely Planet, CNET, uh, and others. Um, and then basically... As TechCrunch has reported here, $55 million was the acquisition price for the following properties. GameSpot, not GameStop, but GameSpot, as I was uh, correctly corrected by my friend Joe Polizzi. GameSpot, Metacritic, TV Guide, wow, that huge brand, uh, Game FAQs, Giant Bomb, which was a very popular site back in the day, Cord Cutter News, and Comic Vine. So those, uh, in, in addition to a couple of other smaller ones, maintain the portfolio that they just bought of this, basically saying they were going to buy up all of these domains and sites and start to envelop them into the larger ecosystem of what they're what they're doing what say you about all of this this seems like a 
the aggregation we've been talking about happening, consolidation happening that we've been talking about for some Ex- Exactly right. And we're going to see more and more of this. Uh, if you look at the numbers with the, what, what is it, GameSpot, 75 million monthly visitors, yeah. Metacritic, 16 million, TV Guide, I mean, still 18 million visitors a month. That's not shabby. Right. That's pretty good. From, That's a real now, business. I don't know what the revenue figures are for these. Uh, I mean, they're ad-driven sites, of course, but it looks like a bargain. I mean, it looks like they just bought a ton of traffic. And they, if they can just optimize a little bit, uh, it's quite a deal that they've been able to do this. Yeah. And that's where it's funny because I told you about this before the show. My first unconventional publishing strategy when I was talking to these association leaders were exactly what we're talking about. A company like a fandom going out, not for necessarily $55 million, but there's five-figure deals or six-figure deals or seven-figure deals. And if you're an association, you should be looking at the media properties, content creators, content entrepreneurs in your industry and purchase them and go out and do that. And I had two ex- association executives come up to me after I presented because I because I also thought I also presented on Web3. I thought they were going to come up about that. They said, oh, my God, that first one blew me away because we've just never thought about that before. And you and I have run into this a million times where marketing executives and chief marketing officers, they just don't think about acquisitions with their growth strategy. They just don't even think about it. It's just not even a thing. And so I ran into it yesterday right. with associations. Right. And the, the the majority of the companies that you're seeing doing this are media companies. And media companies have always done it because it's always been a core part of a publishing strategy. And then you get HubSpot and Salesforce and Arrow and a couple other handful of companies. But I just don't see a lot of the, uh, the bigger brands out there doing this. And they should. I mean, it's... I. There's so many amazing things for sale right now, and it's not being done. I'm just well. Here's I think you're. I mean, you know, we've talked about this a lot. There's there's no doubt about that. And and but here's the flip side of that that I'm starting to think about even more um, these days. What about the brand that has built an amazing thought leadership? maybe from an acquisition, maybe just organically, they built an amazing thought leadership platform or a publication that's getting millions or whatever levels of traffic make total sense for that industry or that niche. And they're not selling the company, but they want to sell the platform. Sure. Right? They literally they literally just want to, you know, they, they don't have use for it anymore. They're losing resources. They want to focus in on a new product set. They, you know, there could be myriad business reasons to do this. Um, but a company like, you know, I think of a company like SAP or a company like, you know, IBM or Microsoft or, you know, I know I'm naming all technology companies, but, you know, uh, or Casper Mattresses, right, with their, you know, with their publication where they've built a viable thing. They've built a viable publication with a subscribed audience and numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Why aren't they flipping these things, right? You know, how often have we said, oh, they're killing a thing, right? They're killing this. They're killing this platform because it didn't work from a marketing perspective. But it's still getting great traffic. It's still getting great engagement. But it doesn't match the you know the 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 um, you know the strategy anymore. The one that comes leaping to mind here that was such an opportunity missed is Intel and their uh, you know Intel by our IQ by Intel. Intel IQ. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, which and they was just a shut case it down, study. didn't they? 
Yeah, it was a case study for for so long in terms of what a great technology magazine could look like at the brand level. And it would, you know, so IQ, it's got its own content brand. It's got its own audience. It was getting millions of, uh, of visits. Um, I don't think it had a ton of subscribers, but it did have a, a, a level of subscription to it. Beautiful editorial, beautiful site. Intel, instead of killing it, could have flipped it out. And even if they made a few million bucks from it, that's a few million bucks than they made, you know, than they didn't make. And why aren't more brands thinking this way in terms of the fact that they're building assets that can actually be sold, maybe not to a competitor, but certainly to somebody, you know, off the, you know, off, off, you know, that's an adjacent I, met market or something. I like can that. tell you exactly why, because they don't think of it as an asset. Right. That, well, that's, that's my point is that's the, that's the real point there. It, it's, it's unbelievable. And that's why it's not done. Right? It's the whole thing is they don't understand that if you build an audience of loyal subscribers, there's multiple ways to monetize that. And they just don't think about that. Think about, oh, what's the next campaign? And I don't want to simple. There's a lot of really or multiple ways that somebody else could monetize it. Right. That I mean, even taking it one step further, maybe you didn't monetize it in a particular way, but it's got the it's got the opportunity to be monetized in a different way if it just belonged to a different company. What was the Verizon had? Was it Sugar String or something like that? Remember, there was a, they were up for like 30 or 60 days, and then Verizon just shut it down because they got into some controversy over covering something. But that was a case, and I think we even talked about it. This happened to them like six or seven years ago. They just stopped it. Yep, we're killing it. Didn't work. We just put $5 million into it, and... I mean, you could have recouped some money from that, but they just don't. They just don't do it. But yeah, I mean, we've yeah, we've I've talked about it in presentations about uh, inbound from HubSpot, and you've got uh, Dreamforce from Salesforce. Both of them just happened. Both of them yep. worth many, many, many millions of dollars. That I mean, they could I, at one point. I think that in 2018, 19, we were talking about because of all the sponsorship sales and all the people there and everything. I mean, that was a billion dollar event. Was Dreamforce? It could, I mean, you could sell that for a billion dollars if you were if you really right. really looked at all the assets involved in that. So yeah, it's just. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's, I just you know, and I think you know your point about the buy side of this as well, right? Where you know, so many. I mean, I've had this conversation a lot with marketing teams about wanting to build something organically. Call it a blog. Call it a resource center. Call it a library. Call it a podcast. Call it a you know whatever it is, and you know you can you can you can literally hear it in their voice where. They're excited to do something new, but the fatigue, you know, the sort of pre-fatigue in their voice, like, it's going to be so much work to build an audience on this new thing. Yes. They're just like, how are we going to build the business case for our boss to believe in this for 24 months while we build the audience? And it's like, why not just go out and acquire something that's already giving you a head start? You know, it's just like, it means a little more upfront. You know, you've, you're investing a little more upfront, but you're getting that time that time and, 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 and money investment into something that could immediately provide uh, instant value. Plus, by the way, talent acquisition in many Exactly. Ways. Well, this is where if marketers had more of a publishing background, this would not be an issue. But marketers don't, and they don't understand. If you grow up in publishing and you say, oh, we're going to come up with this thing, before you do all the work and start creating the thing, 
You do research to see if the thing or something close to it is around, already exists. And then your first move is, let's go see if we can get it before we put, right. spend all this, before we spend literally 12 to 18 to 24 months until we build an audience that's going to throw off any kind of return on investment for us. So That's right. And well, and I think, I think part of that challenge is you know as a as the as a marketing guy and a marketing guy for 30 years i think one of the biggest challenges is that the perception the brand quote unquote of marketing in most organizations is that most marketers feel like the minute you use the word acquisition that's above their pay grade right that's now it's beyond what i have any control over when in fact the numbers that we're talking about here the marketing department almost assuredly spends more than you would spend in an acquisition on in any quarter, right? I mean, the the example I use is is HubSpot's acquisition of the Hustle. You know, if you do the numbers at, on you know, and I know they're private companies, for, for, you know, for, in terms of the acquisition, but if you do the numbers on the the whatever the published numbers were, basically their acquisition of the Hustle was about six percent of their yearly marketing spend. And so these are not these are not moonshots, right? These are not the kinds of things that are going to break the company. These are things that are that you would you know you'd spend ten million dollars on a you know in 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 marketing over the course of the year, or a million dollars, or a hundred thousand dollars, or whatever your budget is. The acquisition of these things is going to be less than that, much less than that. Oh yeah, but and then we had we did three acquisitions, and we talked about this before, Content Marketing Institute, and. One was low six figures, one was yep. mid six figures. So that I mean that was a big one over multiple years, and then yep. one was a small five figure deal that and they all worked out. And you just yeah. you know, I I, don't, I mean who knows where CMI would be if we didn't have those things that really took us to the next level. And I just want more people to think about it. So that's why we every time there's there's a, something in the news on this. Or like we've got to keep talking about it because people listening to this podcast need to start doing something. I, they already know how adamant we are about it, but I just don't see enough of it That's happening. Right. So. That's right. All right. Well, let's move on to something that, that is related to this, which is fascinating. It's almost like we plan these stories. Um, we're going to talk in this next story about Facebook winding down one of its new services. Now, last year in the summertime, we talked about Facebook launching a new newsletter service, um, you know, the bulletin, as it was called, uh, and it featured, you know, writers like Malcolm Gladwell and Mitch Albom and, and, and all of that. Well, Facebook has announced that uh, this new bulletin platform, their newsletter service, is being shuttered. It's being, you know, shut down. Um, and so, it, as the article says, this is from the New York Times, by the way, we'll put in the show notes, Facebook is shuttering its bulletin subscription service, ending its attempt to compete with Substack and other newsletter services. Facebook, which is now part of the parent company Meta, which just makes me giggle every time I, know, I read right? that sentence, um, you know, has contacted writers within the program to tell them that the bulletin platform will be wound down by early next year. Can you imagine you're Malcolm Gladwell and you've put like really a good amount of investment into this whole thing and now all of a sudden you get an email on Thursday afternoon, you're having your coffee and all of a sudden, yeah, this thing that we wanted you to be a huge part of, nah, we're just going to kill it. Eh, bye-bye. Um, Basically, the, as the quote from Facebook said, Bulletin has allowed us to learn about the relationship between creators and their audiences and how to better support them in building their community on Facebook. The company confirmed in a statement on Tuesday. That quote, 
I love that quote so much. Bulletin has allowed us to learn about the relationship between creators and their audiences and how to better support them in building their community. In other words, they don't want us. <laughs> Basically, they That's don't. exactly <laughs> right. It's like, and we, and we realize that we aren't a part of this equation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We have realized that we suck at this. So basically, we are going to shut this thing down. <laughs> A company spokesperson said. Um, yeah, there you go. So what, do you, what, are your, what is your take on this thing? More and more. Well, first of all, let's just pay homage to the fact that Facebook is an amazing technology and has done a little good for the world. Mostly harm, I think. But anyways been brought a lot of people together a lot of people use facebook amazing but the majority of things that facebook has created have not worked and you could even go into i mean a lot of people are questioning this move to whatever mark zuckerberg thinks is the metaverse which nobody seems the things that they've acquired have worked and the things that they've built have not basically is the yeah exactly and and by the way this is quick this is this started in june and they already shuttered it so yeah, they absolutely. make uh, quick decisions on this one. Um, I think that before we go further into this one, you need to go into the next news article because that yeah. really tells the tale of what they're good at. Exactly. So as we as we uh, as we talked about, we we're going to pair this with another meta story because this one includes both Facebook and Instagram, and this comes to us courtesy of Digiday. Although there is a number of media outlets that are also uh, writing about this. It says Meta is rolling out several new types of ads this month to win more of the advertiser digital video marketing budgets away from competitors and to hit online shoppers ahead of the holiday season. Several executives from Meta's global business group unveiled a series of new ad products for Instagram and Facebook, noting opportunities in the platform's vertical video product reels. Uh, Instagram's explore pages and users' individual profiles during a press event in Monday in the New York City office uh, down in Hudson Yards. It opens up inventory on nearly every single page of Instagram and Facebook apps, a move that could theoretically help push down Meta's ad prices and make it easier for advertisers to stomach how Apple's anti-tracking changes have hampered Facebook and Instagram targeting's performance. They did not reveal pricing for this new inventory at the press events. Basically, the article goes on to talk about those new ad formats, which include in-profile ads on Instagram, ads on the Instagram Explore page, multi-advertiser ad carousels on Instagram, post-loop ads in Facebook Reels, ad carousels at the bottom of Facebook Reels, and integrating AR into into feeds and ads and stories. Uh, it goes on to talk about how p- some people are griping about this. Um, I... I think if I see an ad on my profile, I might throw up a little bit. Oh my bit. gosh. But yeah, um you know, I here's the fu- here's something funny, just total aside, total aside because I totally want to get your take on this. Uh, part of my research every week is to obviously go into the Twitter feed and uh search hashtag this old mm-hmm. marketing. Um, and basically look at all the ideas and thank you by the way again for the millionth time for all those wonderful ideas and I look through it. There are ads in that. There, somebody's buying our hashtag for for advertising, or at least not avoiding it. I don't know how that works. To can be you, honest, I didn't even know you can target a hashtag. That's how much I know about Facebook ads. Oh, I think you can. Okay. Yeah, on Twitter you can definitely target hashtags. But somebody's buying. Somebody's buying that. You know, sometimes it's an insurance company. Sometimes it's been a tech company. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. Anyway, what do you think about this whole ads on your profile thing? All right. So first of all, my first instinct when I read this was, oh my God, it's IOI from Ready Player One. 
that's my first thing. It's like, how do we get, I mean, how, how many ads can we sell? But I'm going to tell you a personal story. This has happened quite a few times. So when I was, I started early in magazine publishing and when we would see some of our publishing print brands that weren't doing well, you could really look at the ad to edit ratio. So when, for whatever reason, they weren't selling ads and the ads weren't working out, you'd see more and more ads and less and less content. And it would be a sure, sure, warning sign that bad things were going to happen. So you'd get start with, oh, okay, this is a hundred page publication and you have, you know, 50 ads, great 50, 50 ratio. And then, oh, okay, well, we didn't get as many ads. So we're going to bring it down. We're going to folio down to 68 pages. And then, oh, well, we're going to have 35 ads. So we get a little bit more and down and down and down, you get down to 32 pages. You got 18, 20 pages of ads. You got no content. You've got a horrible product and pretty soon you're done. That's what I felt, Robert, when I when I read this, because they've got their their growth because of you could throw out, oh yeah, it's because of Apple and privacy and whatever. Doesn't matter. Right now they're not growing. And what happens if you want to grow your revenues and profits and you aren't growing your user base and your engagement? Well, you're gonna have to sell more ads, and that's exactly what they're doing. And this looks like a horrible experience for people. That's all I'm yeah. thinking about. Like, I don't know how you can yeah. make this pleasant. This is not good news for people that like Facebook. And I'm, I'm scared is not the word because I don't really care. But I don't, I, I, I don't think this bodes well for Facebook and Meta at all. No, it's a little bit like, you know, you can, you can you know, in the latter days, sort of the decline of the... Uh, you know, some of the other social networks that have existed and some of the other websites and publishing websites that we've seen sort of decline, you know, how they became just walls of pop-up ads and banner ads and everything. It just became unusable. Right? Uh, Yahoo is a really and good, this, yeah, Yahoo, that's what <clears throat> Yahoo's Yahoo. a great example yeah, of that. Exactly. 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 You know, had the front page takeovers and, you know, where the front page of Yahoo was literally one giant ad with, you know, a movie or something like that on the on scattered across every every piece For, of inventory that you can think of. Forbes.com comes to mind. Forbes as is a, another as great a current example, example yeah. of of a hideous experience. Uh, no offense right. to anybody that works there, by the way. No, and I think what they're doing is, you know, I mean, it's 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 a it's a constant challenge in the world of the advertising business model, which it can be a race to the bot. You commoditize yourself, right? You get to the point where everything becomes a commodity and in your desperate attempt to make good on, uh, you know, on impressions and or click through rates, um, you end up sort of offering more and more value, quote unquote, value add to get to that same dollar figure that you used to get to when, you know, times were great. And salespeople are, you know, notorious for this where they're like, hey, listen, in order to get this deal for six months, I had to give away xyz and in order to give away stuff you've got to have inventory to give away and so you know it just ends up on a per ad or a per real estate basis you you start ending up more and more and more and more commoditized because then as soon as you make that deal now the advertiser expects that every exactly um you know and so it's it's not a good thing you know, and, and in the scheme of all the news that's been coming out about Facebook, you know, sort of just suffering and in innovation suffering and revenue suffering and their stock price is taking a huge hit. This is not good news for them, I don't think, you know, even though it's, it's quote unquote, more marketing. Now, 
in the scheme of life, as I've said before on this show, you know, Facebook is still a juggernaut. I mean, you know, it's making tens of billions of dollars a quarter. So it's this is not, you know, this is not predicting the death of Facebook by any stretch of the imagination. But it's a, a yet another data point in the sort of decline of the the, you know, I mean, I. I think I saw an article, I did not dive into this any deep, but I, I think I saw an article recently where Facebook is now going to the government basically saying, hey, we're not big tech anymore, right? We're just this little startup now because, you know, look at our stock price, look at our revenue numbers, look at our decline and everything, and we're not really the big tech giant that we once were. And in so many ways, they're kind of right. Um, they're, you know, they're becoming sort of an afterthought. And so, well, they're trend, yeah, they're you know. trending. I don't know if you can make that case. They're yeah, they're I, still I, bigger I'm, than I'm hyperbole at, at yeah, best. Still, for still sure, bigger yeah, but, than TikTok, and but I mean TikTok is your your rising star. Uh, yes, right. Which won't be around in a couple of years. I talked about that last time, but uh, there yeah, you go. Exactly. I got to get that in. I, I'm totally on this rant about two years. TikTok's not going to be around. I just really believe that. I don't know if it's. I'm just. Maybe it's just wishful thinking because I don't want to. It won't be TikTok, but it'll be something like TikTok. You know, it'll be it'll be talk tick or something. Yeah, it'll be you know, it will be. It, it won't be TikTok, but it'll be a it'll be it'll be the U.S. version. Do of you TikTok, know I have I is. have the I have the URL already taken for this idea. I just haven't done anything with it. And my friend, when my friends and I we were together, there were drinks that were had, but we actually came up with Boomer Talk. And boomer talk is going to be the next big thing because you you have to be a certain age to use it. If you're younger, you're not allowed on boomer boomer talk. You have to be older. You have to be like AARP. Boomer talk, next big okay, thing. Okay, boomer. All right. Okay. Yeah. You you you. I'm I'm glad there were drinks involved in that discussion because if there hadn't been you're drinks the, involved, no, I'd be a little worried. And you were yeah. you're the core persona. I'm sure I was. Yes, I'm sure my name was brought up many many times. Yeah, in that. In that discussion. Yeah, my apologies. The jet lag is really getting to me. Okay. There you got? go. All right. Let's get to our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we owe the SEC a million bucks or something that makes us feel like we're feeling pretty good about our marketing and digital strategy. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, do you want to go first or I'm shall I go first? Go f- yeah, I know you're going to talk about yeah. Amazon and something I'm quick. Happy, mine's relatively happy quick as well. Happy to go first. Uh, so yeah. we had a lot of mail as we were gone. Most of it was junk mail, as you would expect. But I, We should have a little theme song for that. We should have a theme song for that. Like, you know, we've got mail. We get mail. We get mail in the mail. <laughs> I, I no. think that All you're right. more than qualified yeah. to do that. And we could, we Great. could go through that next time. Um, I received... Okay. A wonderful print. It's about it's it's uh, smaller than average size. It's a hundred and four pages, and it's from Amazon. It's from Amazon, and it's beautifully designed. It's called Amazon's Holiday Kids Gift Book. Share the adventure. Oh, right, right. They did this a couple of years ago too. I love it. It's over six hundred toys and gifts. It's a catalog, but it's it almost comes off as a as a kids book. And they have some stickers and some. some costumes that you can put on that are in here that you can pull out. But basically you've got uh, all the toys you'd ever want to buy. And I just think that it is amazing. And if my kids were younger, they would have grabbed this and like laid it on the ground and just went through the whole thing. But I love that Amazon is using print, especially right now, as most of the stuff being sent is not valuable here. You get something 
And and here, I mean, I'm not even the target audience, and I'm looking at this. I'm like saying because we obviously we purchased some toys, so that Amazon knows that they sent us this, and uh, I'm just hats off to them for doing it. I know Walmart is investing heavy in print this holiday season as well. I think that's really really smart. I think launching a magazine right now as a brand is one of the best things you, you could do if you're if sending out something that's of value. So, anyways, there's that. So congratulations, Amazon. And regarding kind of my um, reflections from the road, I just want to throw some things out and get your take on them. These are just no particular order. 10 days of traveling, four or five cities. This is what I got. First of all, we've talked about it. The staffing shortage is absolutely a thing. Literally literally everywhere we went to eat, every Jetway visited, every store we passed through, light on service people, help wanted. It's a problem. Uh, The good news is is most of the people were pretty patient about things, but everything is taking longer. Uh, This is the funny one. Uh, I didn't see this one coming, but there's there's this training issue because as people are filling these open positions, they're not taking the time to train as they used to. And we've seen this firsthand. I literally rented a car last week where they had no record of me taking the car. Nice. I was nice Nice. enough to return the car. Yeah, right. But I have never received an invoice. They don't know. There's no record of me taking out the car at all. Um, I'm amazed by this. I actually... It was a really... It's a a Nissan Altima. I I really should have just kept it. Um, The third thing... Major food shortages everywhere. I'm sure everybody knows this, but it's on the road. Uh, five different Starbucks I went to. I'm a Starbucks. I'm just crazy about my Starbucks. Uh, and yep. it's interesting. They show all the food options. They show them all in the window. But most of them are sold out or unavailable, which is weird to me. Right. They still right. show them, but they're sold out. They don't have them. And That's less true, by the way, in the bigger cities than it is in the uh, smaller cities, but yes. Okay. Well, anyways, in in New Orleans, it was true. In Minneapolis, it it was true. In Raleigh-Durham, it was true. So whatever. Yes. Whatever size. I know you're from Los Angeles, so you're you're a big city. You're a big city. We're special. Yeah. Uh, And then- Yeah, we're big city folk. And then uh, from like travel, leisure, business travel- We've talked. I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Leisure travel way up, business travel way down. Uh, our the occupancy that of the hotel that I was in was nine percent, twenty four percent, forty percent for the days that I was there. The event that I was at didn't have as many people as it did the last time. We've seen this over and over again. But at the same time, the planes are full because people are traveling for fun. They're getting out. They're flying around like it's two thousand nineteen. So, I just thought that you would be interested in my travels from the road. I think that's fantastic. I mean, I 100% agree with everything you just said because I've experienced all of that, um, you know, and and more. You know, hotels right now are broken. They're just they're they're just broken. They're just full stop. Hotels are you know every hotel I've stayed in is broken in some way. The restaurant's not open. The restaurant's only open from eight till eight thirty. Or there's no the morning, more room service. You know, or or yeah. there's no room service. Or you have to actually call. You know my favorite one now is and this is the one that many of the major hotel chains are trying to turn into some sort of marketing shtick, which is we're concerned about the planet 
and we're concerned about the privacy during your stay. So we'll only, we won't be sending any housekeeping into your room. It's like, no, no, don't try to bullshit a marketer. You know, I know what's really going on mm-hmm. here. You don't care about the planet. But it's true everywhere. You don't care about my like privacy. Yeah, you, you will not get your room serviced unless you ask for it now. That's right. Anywhere you go. Well, now, and you may not then either. You know, I mean, you know, truth be told, in, in, in Cleveland, I was there for a full week and asked every single day to have my room cleaned and it never happened while I was there. And, you know, and, and by the way, I mean, this is, I don't mean this as a humble brag. I was staying in a really nice room. I was, a re- I was in one of the nicer uh, suites that they have available in, in that hotel and never could get it. Just could not, they could not figure out how to do it, you know, and to your training issue, when I would go and speak with one of the very young uh, people running the front desk, they were like, oh, right, we, you can ask us, uh, okay, and they literally <laughs> open up a, a three-ring binder and look to the policy to figure out what, what, what they were supposed to do, couldn't find it, and was like, can I just, and they would literally pull out a post-it note and mm-hmm. write my room number and my name down on a post-it note, and I'm like, and I told one of them, on the third day, I told one of them, I don't really have a lot of confidence in that as a data management system, <laughs> so can you just, like, put something in the computer on my name or something like that. And they're like, yeah, we can't do that. I don't know how to do that. It's like, okay. It is so yeah. crazy. So, I mean, we, we had a rental car at the one location at a really, really nice hotel. They said, okay, here's your ticket. And if you want the car, you have to call down first. Okay, great. Right. That's yeah, normal. Right? That's no, normal, no big yeah. deal. Right. Call down. No answer. Wait a little bit. Call down. No answer. I'm like, okay, well, this number is not the right one. I call the front desk. After ringing, finally, I get somebody at the front desk. I say, oh, I'm trying to reach the valet, whatever. I was like, oh, you can leave the number with me, and I'll make sure they get it. Okay, I left the number with Go out, leave the number, go down 15. <laughs> Guess what? The confidence is not high nobody that, got yeah. the Yeah, nobody got the number, and then the guy says, you're supposed to call down. <laughs> I right. said, okay, dude, can I just get my car? I mean, really? So yeah. Anyways, it's been, it's been interesting. Yeah. First world problems. Yes, definitely first world problems, and hopefully we'll be get we'll get fixed. What I don't like is where the hotels, especially the airlines, are doing this to some extent as well. But the hotels, especially, are trying to transform this "quote unquote" new normal into marketing shtick, you know, messaging. No, no, don't do that. Don't. That's not. Don't market me a suboptimal experience as being optimal. That's not. It might be no, better no, off if they said we have a severe staff shortage. That would exactly be it. That would that would be much more, more better because you totally understand that, right? As a customer, and you. But the problem is, is that it shows weakness. It shows vulnerability, and it sets you up for you know. It sets you up for the customer not excusing that. Yeah. If you try and position it as a you know, I'm sure this is the thinking in the in the in the you know that the agency or whatever you know the messaging mapping that's going on here say you know how do we deal with this ah well what we'll do is we'll have the front desk people tell them that we respect their privacy now and we're not going to clean their room it's like no that just sets you up for failure because now you're actually setting it up as a benefit and when that you know and when i say okay great i don't want that benefit i actually want you to invade my privacy and actually do the room and then that doesn't happen now you've got a double you've got double failure I can't even imagine a week of Robert Rose hotel room that's not been clean. <laughs> right. So that's I can't get that out of my head. 
<laughs> Anyways, what's your? What's it's it is not is not a pretty sight, my friend. It is definitely not a pretty sight. It's nothing you oh, want to no, walk no, into. Never, never. Un, un, you know, unintroduced. Never. That's for this sure. Is yeah. Terrible. So what's your what's your rave? Uh, I just wanted to do a, throw out a quick rave um, uh, to the team at Content Marketing Institute, especially the research group. They have just this week, Wednesday, launched um, a study that I have wanted to do for years. Um, and it's basically called content marketers, salaries, career paths. Uh, and, and it's all basically looking at the current situation with content marketing and the employees, job satisfaction, separated out by gender, separated out by uh, cohort, age cohort, separated out by, you know, different uh, salary bands for senior levels versus junior levels. And it's just got so much wonderful data if you're in a career in content marketing, contemplating a career in content marketing, or looking to make a business case about the expansion of content marketing in your business. It's just got tons of data. And you know, I'll just mention one off the top, which is content marketers are generally happy with their, with their job. They, they like working in content marketing. And by the way, most of the people in this survey were at least 15 years in content marketing, which is just an wow. amazing statistic to me. Um, so it's not that these are new people figuring this out. This is a well-worn, understood job that, has, that still has no career path, that still in most businesses has no, no true career path for, for content uh, strategy or content marketing. The interesting thing was f- coming on the heels of that, the 58% uh, that are happy with their job is only 42% because there is no career path, only 42% said that they were sure they wouldn't be looking for a new job next year. In other words, 50, 58% of the people surveyed basically said, yes, for sure I'm looking for a new job next year because I can't find a career path in my current company, or two, I, I definitely am not sure. I, I may or may not look for a new job next year. And so when you hear I may or may not look for a new job next year, that means you're totally open to taking a new job. Um, and it's uh, I just think it's a it's a fascinating time. And it's you know, it's a it's a call to arms for businesses that are looking for retaining mm-hmm. talent to put together a career pathing uh, and levels of strata like you would for any other function, you know, marketing, sales, finance, legal. All of them have very well defined strata and career laddering in most businesses and content just doesn't. And so I think it's a it's just a wonderful survey and just great information. And I just wanted a big shout out to the team for putting it. It's a great report. I was looking at it uh, right before we chatted. Really good stuff. And we talked about this a little bit of content marketing world about some of the best case studies that are out there. People that made the jump. They moved yes. at a certain point. That's right. It's very hard if you're there five, six, seven years, and you're still running into the same political uh, blockade, if you will. It's just got to make the jump and go somewhere else. If you want to stay in the corporate and, environment, and, sometimes you got to do that. And by the way, all of the major success stories that we talk about so often, um, you know, the, the two current, you know, sort of poster children for great content marketing, Salesforce and Cleveland Clinic, both of them very discreet and formalized career paths for content there you, go. you know in their business yeah. you know salary ranges job titles the whole thing so it's about it's time let's do this thing 
That's right. All right. What do you got this week? Were you, are you still on the road or what's going on? Uh, I'm not on the road. I am in Cleveland right now, uh, but I will be leaving on uh, the, the next three days are, are crazy busy with a lot of different things. But on Sunday, I leave for San Diego for crypto business conference. So that's the inaugural event. I'll be talking about the social token business model. So uh, we're going to it's so weird. We're going to the San Diego Chargers Cleveland Browns game in Cleveland. And then as soon as it's done, probably have to leave right before we get on a plane and go to San Diego. So that's where Wow. All that's right. where I will be. And uh, what are you doing? San Diego. It's, we got good weather. You got amazing weather coming up for you. So it's going to be absolutely spectacular in San Diego. So you will have the best time. Um, we are neck deep in client work at the moment. But next week, I'll be traveling, actually. Um, and, and in fact, we'll have to figure out our, our time for recording because I will be at Marketing Profs B2B Forum in Boston. Um, That's and, nice they uh, invited you to speak. That is nice. Yeah, that it is, is nice. They, they like me. They do. They, they, they I'm do. Not, I'm not sure about you, no, they, but they, I'm they definitely, do like me. I'm not on the, the marketer list anymore. <laughs> I, I lost that title in 2018. Now I'm something else. Yes. Well, but you're going to digital now, right? That's the key is, is, you, is you're digital now. This is, you know, th- th- that's the exciting thing. A digital, digital next week on the bus. <laughs> digital. What are you digital speaking waiting about in the parking lot? Marketing. Are you speaking about? Uh, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two strategies. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about the consumerization of uh, of content. Yeah, that's what I'll be talking. No, I'm talking about B2B content marketing as a, a you know, and the the future future proofing your strategy is what oh, I'm going to be talking that- about. Which of course as you might expect, has a lot to do with content operations, measurement, strategy, et cetera. You like that future proof. You've had that in a couple of your speeches before. I, I will be quite honest with you. Those are titles that are written for me. The many really? times the conferences, the, yeah, I, there's, I there, are, there are conferences and Marketing Profs B2B is one of them that they like to suggest titles to you. Um, our friend Michael Stelzner at uh, Social yeah, Media Marketing. My title World. is his, not, his, I, his, his team. Right. Mine is, yeah, mine is completely. His team likes to suggest titles too. So I often just go, fine. Yeah, that's great. That's a great title. So, well, good. Well, yeah. all right. We made all right. it. There we go. Fantastic. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, now you can go to sleep, yes. um, which is always good. Uh, and for the rest of you, in the meantime, until um, we see you next week, if you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes that we talked about, um, including, by the way, we'll link to the Kim Kardashian thing, just if you're interested in reading about it, just get on over to our website, wouldn't you? Uh, Thisoldmarketing.site. Remember, every week I go check that hashtag, um, and you can check out the sponsors, too, if you want a good belly laugh. Um, I don't know if it's a belly laugh, but it's certainly a, 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 it's a, chuckle. a, a Twitter it's a laugh. Chuckle. Yeah, a chuckle. Yeah, a chuckle. chuckle. Um, and uh, do hashtag us up. Won't you hashtag this old market and give us story ideas? We do love that. And until we meet again next week, wherever Joe and I happen to be on the road, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Market.